as we read Acts 28, verses 1 through 10, and, and again, I, I share this every time we stand, you know, we, we re- receive this tradition from the priest Ezra in the book of Nehemiah as he had the people stand for the reading of God's word. And just a reminder, when he had the people stand for the reading of God's word, that meant they were standing for the reading of all five books of the Torah, the, the, uh, the, f- the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. We're just reading ten verses, okay? <laughs> but what an honor for us to be able to stand in honor of God and his word. Amen? So follow along, please, as I read these ten verses. Now, when they had escaped... They then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, They said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for for, for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god fickle. Aren't we so fickle at times? (laughs) In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. And Father, we pray that as we look at this passage together, Lord, that you would just give us understanding. Pour your spirit upon us, Lord. We we need his help. We need him to... Open the eyes of our hearts to see your truth. To open our eyes to see Jesus. To open our eyes to see all that you are doing. Did then continue to do now by your Holy Spirit through your people. Even as you work through Paul at this particular time. Be glorified in this time, Lord, we pray. And let our hearts be turned towards you. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You guys may be seated. One of the things we need to acknowledge is that these ten verses don't say a whole lot about the entire three-month period of time that Paul and all these who were shipwrecked, these 276, uh, as they were on the, on the island of Malta. We see in the 
11th verse there, after three months we sailed in an Alexandrian ship. So they were there for three months. And we have some detail about what happened on this first day. And then some following days as, as people came uh, to receive healing as Paul had laid hands on uh, Publius's father and, and he was healed of, of his sickness. But imagine during this three-month period of time, this is part of what we need to do this morning, is imagine the continuing ministry of the Apostle Paul on this island of Malta to these occupants of the island, Publius as well as the others, who were so kind to them on this very first day. We're going to be talking about their kindness as well. But uh, three months. But we're going to be looking at this first day in some detail with these first ten verses. A couple of weeks ago when we were in chapter 27 and, and, and we had uh, seen Paul giving his defense before King Agrippa and all, uh, we, we looked at Paul's statement that he said, I was not disobedient to the vision and talked about obedience a bit, if you'll recall uh, that. And we, we talked about the fact that obedience is, is an essential of the Christian life. We talked about the fact, uh, uh, we talked about the nature of obedience. We talked about obedience accompanying true salvation. Uh, that obedience uh, acknowledges God's authority in our lives. And that, is an, uh, that it's an expression of trust in God. And finally, that it is the proof of a believer's love for Jesus. And I want to talk a little bit more this morning about obedience, a different aspect of this, a different uh, uh, aspect of obedience in that it is a foundational biblical truth that obedience to God brings his blessing in our lives. Now, we want to be careful about that because we don't want to say that, you know, if I do stuff in honor of God, he's going to do stuff for me and make it this kind of a thing. But, when I'm obedient to God, that shows that my heart is vowed to him. I recognize him as God. Basically, I'm treating him like he is worthy to be treated in the sense of treating him like God. He's God and I'm not. He's Lord. I'm his servant. He's my creator. I'm his creation. He, he's my father. I'm his child. And if, if we treat him that way, and when he speaks, we listen and then respond to what he says in obedience. It's not just the idea of, okay, if I do stuff, I get stuff. No. If I acknowledge him as God, if I acknowledge him as my, as my father, he treats me like his child. He treats me as his creation, and he's able to love me the way that he wants to because I'm in that place where I can receive his love. And so I receive his blessing. Right? Does that make sense? We just have to be careful about this because, you know, uh, the, 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 the works foundation that many religions have is not what we're talking about. He's God, so we treat him like he's God. And when we do, he brings blessing into our lives. But there's also the other side of that coin. Disobedience brings 
cursings in our lives. Now we see that through Moses in, e in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 to 28, as he was exhorting the people of Israel. Verse 26, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. And that last sentence there is a key. It's a key in all of our lives, really. Because if we're not treating the God of the Bible as our God, who are we holding as God in our hearts? Who has that place? Generally speaking, I would say, well, if, if the Lord God, if Yahweh, Jesus Christ, his Son, his Holy Spirit, if God, the triune God, does not have that place in my life, then it's most likely that I have that place. That's just the way it works. It could be that maybe another person, it could be uh, a, 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 a desire for position or authority or riches or whatever it may be. You know, in a materialistic society, of course, materialism is a big deal, so having things, that can be our God. Stature, yeah, I mean, so many things. But again, that's a key because if we're obeying him, because he's God, and not simply because we get stuff, then we are honoring him as God. That makes all the difference. He's God. Let's treat him like he's God. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. Jesus said in John 13, 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's not just an Old Testament uh, um, principle. We see it right here spoken by Jesus and, and other passages as well. Um, but we just want to look at those two this morning. Back to the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we see uh, King Uzziah and how this principle impacted his life. In chapter 26, beginning in verse 15b to 16, and then we're going to read 19 to 21a. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And then after the chief priest, uh, Azariah, along with 80 other priests, came to him, confronting him, he became angry, and then picking up at verse 19, and while he was angry with the, with the priests, you know, it's this thing, how dare you come confront me about this? I'm king, right? Part of his problem at that particular point in time. Yet Uzziah was a good king, but he had this. Anyway, while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him 
and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. That, that's, a, that's a solemn warning for us. I'm not saying if, if you disobey God and you sin, then you're going to get leprosy. I'm not saying that. But the principle that, that we're talking about is illustrated there. And I don't know how the cursings in our lives are going to come. But bottom line, I think it's something like this. We don't treat God as God. We, have, we, we are treating something else as God, that other thing we are following. We remove ourselves from God's umbrella of protection as we wander away from him, worshiping other gods. And then we are subject to the elements of this world, the spiritual elements of this world, if you will, and the enemy shoots at us and he is more likely to hit us because we're out from under his protection from that um, umbrella. I, I, I think his protective umbrella can have a label obedience on it. You know what I mean? Again, we don't obey to be safe. We obey because he's God. When I treat him as God, he's got that place of uh, on my heart, on your heart, on that throne. Then our relationship with him is right, and he brings blessing into our lives. Even in the midst of the heartache of this life, even in the midst of it, you know, um, I certainly, going through what I've gone through in the last several, last few years, you know, I still recognize God's goodness, and I, I'm a blessed man. I'm a blessed man. You know, and, and I think about men like myself, people like myself who've lost a spouse, if they don't have Jesus, if they don't have him, I do. I'm a blessed man. You know, because I have Jesus. And because I had my wife for over 50 years. You know, as I've shared with you before, 50 really wonderful years with this woman. Three really hard ones. I can't complain. I can't complain. Going on. With Uzziah, one of the things that we need to see there is as his heart was lifted up, he became proud, of course. And people who gain power, well, we, we know the saying, uh, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? It happens with kings. Especially, well, he came to a place where he thought he could do anything. And so he took the role of a priest, which was absolutely forbidden of him. And he offered these sacrifices and, uh, and so forth, the incense. And, and, and it was something that he was not allowed by God to do. And when he was confronted with the priest, and uh, we, we saw what happened. So that was the problem in his heart at that particular point in time. But one of the ways that God does bless us is by granting our desires. But again, another thing that's involved with this, I mean, we, there's a couple of passages in regard to that. Uh, Psalm 21, 1 and 2, uh, written by David, 
The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and, your, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. Think about that. Notice the first couple of lines. He'll have joy in your strength, O Lord, uh, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You know, it's all about God. It is. And as we rejoice in him, knowing he's the one that gives us strength, he's the one that saves us, he's the one that does the work, we can't take credit for any of that. As we are honoring him in that way, our, our desires become entrenched in his will. And so because our desires are in accordance with his will, of course those desires will be fulfilled, right? When my mindset, your mindset becomes more attuned with God and his because you worship him, then he is able to bless us. In fact, our desires become like his desires. Uh, his desires become our desires. And so our desires are fulfilled. That's the way to explain it. In, in, in uh, Psalm 37, 4, uh, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. First, delight yourself in him. And then he'll give you the desires of your heart. If there's another thing in this world, anything, it could be your family. If your family is your delight, and when I say your delight, your primary delight, rather than a secondary delight, which it should be, but if it's your primary delight, then you're not going to receive the desires of your heart. But if God is your primary delight, then you will. Again, that's simple. We know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, for many years, as we are looking at Acts 28 here, for many years he had desired to visit Rome. Acts 19.21, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And in his letter to the Romans, he expressed that desire. Romans chapter 1, twice, he says in verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. And then in the 15th verse of chapter 1 in Romans, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And we know that God had told him that he must see Rome. He had told him uh, uh, also that he must stand before Caesar in Rome. So he knew that he was going to Rome. That's also one of the things that's key in this passage. You know, for, for Paul, I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but it's appropriate to, to say it now. You know, when that, when that viper uh, uh, bit him and he was hanging from his arm, I, mean, I don't know if he knew that this was a poisonous snake or not. I don't know. But even if he did, one thing he knew is he was going to Rome. He was not going to fall over and die at that moment. He knew that. You know, and, he, and he may have gained from the expression on these, uh, um, th th these people from Malta 
as they saw this, and when they're going, oh, man, this guy, man, what did he do? You know, that kind of, but he knew he would survive. But after all this waiting, years of waiting, two years in that prison in Caesarea, uh, that, that two-week storm at sea that those 276 people just survived through the hand of the Lord, they all knew that that was the case. Um, his fourth shipwreck, we know it was his fourth because in 2 Corinthians 11, he says three ship shipwrecks written before this, now his fourth. All these things, he knew he was going to see Rome. But first, there was ministry to do on this island of Malta. You see, if the ship had not wrecked, if the storm had not come, if they had not had this harrowing two-week experience on, on, the, on the open seas, and finally the, the shipwreck and, and coming to this island, they're swimming or floating on on pieces of, of, of boards from the, from the broken up ship and so forth to get to the sea or, or get to the shore. And then they finally do, af after all of that, they see that there is, well, well, Paul is going to see that there's ministry to do. All that took place because Paul uh, uh, had some ministry to do under the Lord's direction. The Lord took all this, did all this, brought them here, in that way, so that these people of the island of Malta could experience the one and true living God. And let's never forget that, guys. That's one of the things that we see here. We see it all through the book of Acts. And, and we, we've seen it in our own lives, too, haven't we? You know, I mean, things take place in our lives. We go through difficult circumstances. And one of the things we find I have found this. In, in only five months since my, my honey went to the Lord, you know, I, I know that the Lord has been ministering to me. I, I know that I, I see him a bit more clearly than I did before. I understand things a bit more than I did then. Some things. You know, and, and so, you know, the Lord uses these things to accomplish something. And as he's doing these things in me, um, you as those who sit under the ministry that the Lord's given to me as, as a teacher, you're reaping some benefits from that as well as you are encouraged in your faith in these ways. So God, God has a way. God has a way of doing these kinds of things. So the island of Malta, the people of Malta. Notice, of course, that they discovered it was Malta there in first verse and if, if I had been there among them and discovered this place was called Malta, and I go, oh, wonderful, they have malt here? <laughs> that's what I would have been thinking. Uh, of course, that's all according to the English language, which doesn't work, but that doesn't matter anyway. But notice, notice the people. N notice what had taken place. I, I, wa I want to point out that there are three qualities of these people on the island of Malta that are basically... Well, intrinsically, they are Christian qualities. They were hospitable. They were kind. They were compassionate. You know, you, you look at these people and the way they responded and the way that they welcomed these 276 uh, uh, people that survived this shipwreck and all, 
uh, and, and in a kind, it's, it's like, this is, was this a Christian church? Did, did these people already know Christ? I mean, that question can come to your mind, right? And the answer is, well, no. The gospel had not reached there yet. It was just now reaching Malta. But these people were kind and compassionate and they were hospitable. How does this happen? You know, um, in some translations, uh, the, these uh, people uh, in, in the New King, New King James translation, they're, they're called natives. Uh, they're natives of, of, of Malta. Some translations use the word barbarians. And that just simply comes from the word that's that, that describes them as people who didn't speak Greek. That's all that that really means. It's not barbarians in the sense that we take the word today in our culture. But they certainly weren't acting like barbarians. Um, <laughs> I, I, I say the word barbarian and I, and I chuckle. The reason is, well, it, ha it has to do with one, one of the things with, with my bride. We were with our kids and we went to a restaurant somewhere. can't remember what it was. And we were ordering from a menu, and they had on the menu a sandwich that was called the Santa Barbaran sandwich. And she said, I want the Santa Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of the family. You know how we have these family things that we just laugh at when we think about it? It's one of those things. So I share that with you. Um, where was I? Barbarians, yes. Um, no, I mean, they were not barbarians in the sense that we think of them. I mean, they were, they were very kind, of course. And as we see there, verse 2, they, they showed unusual kindness. They kindled a fire. I mean, th these people, I mean, they, they were soaking wet. It was still raining. It was cold. And they put a fire on and so, and so that they could receive some warmth. Acts of kindness. And certainly they, they were probably using some of those wet boards and you're throwing it on the fire, but they had to get some kindling and all. And, and that's one of the things that Paul was doing is he was getting this kindling uh, to, to put on the fire so that it would, that it would stay. And imagine in the cold and in, in the rain in the cold, this viper that was there, it's, it's very likely he just thought it was a stick being cold. You know how snakes, you know, they, they um, I forget what the word is for that, but, you know, when it's hot, they're hot. When it's cold, they're cold, and they're, they're fine. You know, um, what's that term, as a reptile? Anyway, <laughs> doesn't matter. You guys know what I mean. He's probably stiff like a, a stiff as a stick. And then when he got to the heat, he, he started to loosen up a bit and jumped out and just bit Paul. That, that's basically what happened there. But I want to take note of a few of these terms. Hospitality that these people gave toward Paul and, and the other survivors of this shipwreck. The term hospitality actually means, the definition is, the act of entertaining guests with warmth and generosity. Now we know that hospitality is something that God wants of us. Hebrews 13.2 says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, 
some have unwittingly entertained angels. 1 Peter 4, 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Have any of you ever had plans to uh, entertain some guests in your home, maybe even for a holiday, maybe for Thanksgiving? You know, and as you're getting things ready, you're, you're griping and complaining. I don't know why we're having these people over here. They, you, know, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. Something like that. We're just going to have some squabbles anyway. Whatever. But without grumbling. We, we do know that hospitality is one of those qualities in life that the Lord gives to us, um, which is required in church leaders. We see that both in 1 Timothy 3 as well as Titus chapter 1. Kindness. It is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It is also the second on the list of what love is in 1 Corinthians 13. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness. For Christians who have the Holy Spirit, there is no reason that we can't be all of those things. Well, there is a reason. There's something that happens. But we have the capability in God's Spirit to, be, to always be kind. We should be known by others as people who are kind, joyful. All these things are a part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? But kindness being a part of that. And of course, in 1 Corinthians 13, we see love being described beginning in verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. It's pretty close to the top of the list there. Kindness. You know, um, sometimes we hear the term random acts of kindness. No. Intentional acts of kindness for Christians. Amen? We need to intentionally be kind to people around us without them being kind to us. It doesn't matter. The definition of kindness is warm-heartedness, goodness, generosity, helpfulness. In first, uh, excuse me, in, in Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty-two, Paul writes, "And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you." I think this this one verse is a tremendous verse. Kindness tenderheartedness, which basically means walk a mile in the other person's shoes. Try to put yourself in their place. You, know, you see somebody driving crazy on the freeway. You see it more and more, and often it's like two cars. I like the, I like the racing on the freeway, right? And you're going, my goodness. It's like, okay, kindness. Um, okay, tenderheartedness. Um, I don't know if that works here. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, but... You're trying. But, you know, if it's just a single car, I mean, we have a tendency, oh, that, that crazy guy, what, I mean, he's going to cause an accident. And that may be true, but that person may have just received a call from somebody saying, your little girl just got ran over. She's at the hospital. You need to get there. So he's getting there. You know what I mean? I mean, 
Put yourself in the other person's position. Try to. Tenderheartedness. And then, of course, forgiveness. I'm telling you guys, if every single person followed this single verse, how would that change our relationships? How would that change many Thanksgiving and Christmas gatherings? If kindness were at the top of the, if, if everything done and said was from kindness and was actually kind, rather than cutting remarks, you know what I mean? So I would encourage you, memorize this verse, mark it in your Bible, copy it, paste it on your, uh, tape it to your mirrors in, in the morning when you're getting, I mean, it's like this verse is, is would be a tremendous verse for every single person to follow, and it would uh, um, transform relationships. Then, of course, the compassion that was shown. The definition of that is sharing the suffering of another. Sharing the suffering of another. And because of the obvious suffering of these 276 people, they showed kindness to them. Their hearts being stirred by compassion. Of course, we have the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Compassion. You see the compassion of Jesus in the Gospels. In Matthew 9, 36 to 38. When, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And then it was after that that he selected the twelve apostles to do just that. In Matthew 14, verse 14, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. So, so these um, occupants of Malta, these Maltese natives, we might call them, the Maltese pagans, we might call them, not the Maltese falcon, Maltese pagans, um, acting with Christian qualities. Now, what about that? What's up with that? How can they be so kind and compassionate and hospitable without the Lord? Well, it, it brings to us a, a truth um, that all people, in fact, this is one, one, one aspect of God's revelation to the world is that we all have a moral law that is written on our hearts. All a moral law written in our hearts, you know. And even though from culture to culture the specifics may be a bit different, every culture has some kind of system of morality, a system of rights and wrongs. Uh, whether they've received the gospel or not, they have that within their, their culture. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 2, verses 14 
and 15, and then verse 27. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And will not the physically uncircumcised, this is verse 27, will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? He's speaking to Jews there. And because God has revealed himself, all men are without excuse. Romans 1, excuse me, Romans 2, verses 1 to 3. Therefore you who are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man? You who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God. And so God can justly condemn those who never hear the gospel because they don't follow the law that's written on their hearts. They don't follow the laws within their own culture. So he can justly condemn. Romans 2, 11 and 12 for there is no partiality with God, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. And so because no human being perfectly follows that law written on the heart or that law within the culture, no, none does so perfectly needs a savior. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all these passages in Romans that I just read come after, of course, the first chapter when Paul writes this in verses 20 and to 23. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made of creation even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their own thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things speaking about the idols that are created that, that men bow down to. Um, the passages like this cause me to think about the um, history of our own nation, you know, and just the idea that the, these... Uh, Idols that have been made, you know, birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things, and so forth. 
you know, and we, we talk about the, the nations with the, with the foreign gods and so forth and the idols that are made by them, whether it's, whether it's in the Middle East, whether it's in Africa, whether it's in Asia, whether it's in the Americas, you know, it, it's, it's all the same. It's all the same. And in, in, in our own history, of course, um, I, I remember learning about, when I was in elementary school, a long time ago, um, learning about the, the Native Americans. And it, w it was termed in the books at that time as Indian folklore. And they would talk about, you know, the various things that they would do, you know, the, the, the rain dancers and, and so forth, the totem poles that they had and all these kinds of things, Indian folklore. And really what it, what it is, what it was, and, and still is to some degree, it's just the worship of false gods. That's all it is. It was Baal, the, in, the, the rain dances, it is Baal, not in Israel, but in North America. That's all it is. You know, the, the, the totem poles, all the images on a totem pole, these are, there are idols to the gods that they worship. You know, that's all that that was. It's not folklore. It's false religion. <laughs> it's what it is. You know, and, and, and I, I think that we, we just see w different ways that, that our culture can lighten things up a bit, a lot, you know, uh, and, and move away from spiritual truth, not wanting to recognize and acknowledge the spiritual truth that is there. But these people on the island of Malta, with a law, a moral law written upon their hearts, followed it to a great degree. They certainly did on this particular day. Not perfectly, but on this day, they certainly did. Mention Paul grabbing those sticks. He was a servant. Paul was a servant. Now, we're not told if anybody else did, but it certainly seems as if as soon as he saw what was going on and, and, and these... Uh, um, occupants of, of, of Malta grabbing these sticks to, to, to help with the fire. He wanted to do the same. He was a servant. He had a servant's heart. This is what he did. And, and even though he had become a trusted or maybe even the trusted leader on this ship as he was speaking to them in the Lord, he served with a servant-style leadership. So he grabbed some sticks. The snake being in there, and the snake was, because of the heat, latched onto him. And we, we see what took place. But in his servant-style leadership, it just reminds us once again, I, I think we read this passage from Mark last week, not, uh, this morning from the book of Matthew, the, the same incident, the same words from Jesus. Jesus calling his apostles to himself, he said, in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. Not you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. 
And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew quotes from Jesus, Jesus giving us this truth, what it, what it takes to become great in his kingdom, be first in his kingdom, and then he cites himself as the primary example of that. He came not to be served, but to serve. I pray that that is, that is a principle that grows in our hearts to become larger and larger and larger so that we are, regardless of who we are, whatever our stature may be, in the group with wh- that we are, uh, that, we're, that we're with, that we'll never be thinking, no, I'm not a servant. I should be served here. Right? No, we are servants. Following the example of Paul and, of course, Jesus as well, who in John 13, at the beginning of, of that um, discourse in the upper room, celebrating the Passover meal with his apostles, began that evening as the apostles entered in by washing those dirty, nasty feet. Great example for us. And whether it's in the family, as a husband and father, or as the mother, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's within the church, whether it's among friends, whether it's in government, whatever it may be, it is a principle that we need to follow. Um, In in Joshua chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, we see Joshua speaking to um, to the tribes, to the leaders of the tribes. And Joshua just had his encounter with the Lord. Three times the Lord told him, you know, to, to be encouraged and so forth. And, and he, shared, he shared these things and what was going to be taking place with these leaders. And they responded to him in these verses, verses 16 to 18. Very important for us. Look at this. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. So they're vowing their uh, um, honor of him as their leader and, and submission to him as their new leader, as Moses was. But look at this. Only, only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. We can just stop there, really, because that's the key. These leaders had seen God's hand on the life of Moses. All they wanted to see in Joshua was the same. Not that he would do the same kinds of miracles and part seas and things of that nature, although that would take place as they would enter into the promised land. But they just wanted, if you're going to lead us, we just want to be sure that God's hand is on you. We just want to be sure that you're following God and, and that his hand is upon you like we saw it upon Moses. That's it. And I think that is a very important uh, principle in 
Christian leadership, wherever we may be, again, within the church, but outside the church as well, in the business place, on, on the job, in the marketplace, at the, you know, um, in the family. It doesn't really matter. You know, for, for a husband, and you want your wife to follow you, you follow Jesus. And when she sees you following Jesus, she'll follow you. If she loves Jesus like you do, she'll follow you. If she sees you following Jesus. I had the pleasure of leading a wife who was just like that. And, you know, it's just a, 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 a such an important, important truth. Some see in this snake bite of Paul a representation of the attacks of Satan in our lives. Of course, the serpent in the Old Testament, in, in, in uh, uh, the book of Genesis, we, we see the representation there. Satan in that serpent, tempting Eve and so forth. And we saw the curse that took place with that. But Satan does certainly attack the servants of God. Satan is concerned about the way that we may be used by God, the, the uh, witness that we may be giving to him, the testimony of our lives and so forth. And he wants to destroy that if he can. I'm not so certain that he's interested in destroying people who are not following him. Even Christians who are weak in faith and struggling with following him and struggling with, with you know, the, the various things of the flesh and so forth, he'll leave them alone. If we are following after him, Satan's going to be after us. And we see here, too, that in the same way that Paul shook off this viper, we need to shake off those, att those attacks of the enemy. It's like, you know, oh, another attack. Get away from me. In the name of Jesus, get away from me. I don't know if Paul did that, but he did it very casually, though. It's, that, that's the idea. He just shook the thing off in the fire, and, you know, I, I suppose it, it just burned up in the fire where we know that Satan is e eventually going to be anyway, right? There's a lot of representation here with, with all of this. But we saw the, re the response uh, of, of these Maltese men thinking that Paul must have done something really bad. It's like, you know, justice is after you, man. What did you do? You survived this, this storm in the sea. You, you didn't drown, but here you are. Justice is taking place because how else can you explain it? But you know what? We, we see there the way that we can misinterpret events. We misinterpret things. For example, many have said, going through a difficult time, God, I thought you loved me. Why are you letting this happen to me? You know, right? I mean, that's one thing. That's one way misinterpreting things. It happens more often in the world than within the church, but it certainly does happen within the church. Um, the world will misinterpret our faith in the Lord. Some of us has, have been asked by loved ones, what, what kind of cult are you a part of? Because we eagerly follow Jesus Christ. Not a man, not a particular local church, but Jesus. 
That's, that's what they see. They'll say that you're weak. I, I'm not weak like you. I don't need that. Well, truth of the matter is, we all are weak. We all have weakness. You know, there's not a person born who is able to save himself from his or her sins. None. We need Jesus. I remember hearing it say that as that was, that was uh, uh, said of one person, um, I'm forgetting his name right now, uh, a, a musician, a Christian artist way back when in the, in the 70s. Um, almost thought of his name, I forget. Anyway, he said, you know, they say that Jesus is a crutch. Well, give me two. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll take two crutches like that. Um, yeah, we, we, we need him. We all are weak. Romans 5, 6 says, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus comes to us because we are weak. So Paul shook off this viper. Again, he knew he was going to Rome. He knew he wasn't going to die. But we, we, we do need to be aware of the different ways that the enemy may attack us. And even as Paul wrote to the Corinthians in First. Uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's not be ignorant of the devices that the enemy will use against us. And let's expect them. Do we expect, do you expect, do I expect the enemy to attack? Are we watching? Are we taking heed of the warnings in the Bible? 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14, Peter writes, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Oh, God, I thought you loved me. Why is this happening? I'm your, I'm your child. Why aren't you protecting me? Don't think it strange. As though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. We need to recognize that the enemy attacks and that the world is watching us. Some are anxious to watch us fall, um, simply desiring for the name of Jesus to somehow be defamed. Others want to see how we really handle adversity. But let's understand the world is watching us. They're watching the way that we live our lives. They're watching the way we handle our marriages, the way that we parent our kids, the way that we handle the job just the way that we live in every way. Some wanting an example to follow, others hoping that a fall will take place to justify their own position. Let's be careful how we respond. Let's always be following Jesus. Well, these Maltese men, they, they were 
crying out, boy, this guy must have done something really bad. But then when he didn't puff up and die, he's a god. He's a god. You know, the fickleness of human nature. But, again, the misinterpretation. Um, the natural man, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So we can't expect people to understand, but we need to show them Jesus. Because as we show them Jesus, he can make a difference in their lives. Publius, this, this man who is described as a leading citizen of the island in verse 7, the, the, the wording there is such that he was probably the magistrate in the village the, the, with, with the Roman power, uh, uh, the Roman governor of this island probably is who he was. But as he was there showing kindness again to, to the uh, uh, 276 people, Lord. He welcomed them. 276 people. He had them over for lunch. <laughs> you know, I mean, he showed them favors. I mean, I'm assuming that all of them were there. We're not told. Maybe it was a select few, and, uh, the, the leaders. I, I, we don't really know, but what, what it says is us. Uh, he, he welcomed us. You know, he received us and entertained us uh, courteously for three days. Well, he had received them. And, and look what Matthew chapter 10 says. This, these are the words of Jesus. Chapter, uh, chapter 10 of Matthew, verses 40 to 42. He who receives you receives me. Of course, Jesus is speaking to his apostles in particular. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Publius received reward for receiving these men. Paul the Apostle, in particular, Luke as well. Aristarchus, as we said, he's on this, this, he was on this ship as well. Paul prayed for uh, Publius' father, and he was healed of his disease. And when the rest of the island heard of what took place, they brought their sick. Th those who were sick came, and they were healed of their, of their diseases as well. And over a three-month period of time, these kinds of things took place. Imagine how many opportunities Paul must have had to preach the gospel to these people. You know, of course, with a translator, um, but preaching the gospel to these people. And finally, in verse 10, they honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Uh, the following verses will share some details about their parting from Malta and then their arrival in Rome. We'll talk about that next time. But notice how they provided such things as were necessary. In their kindness, they provided for, for their needs on this next step of their journey on their way to Rome. The way that God provided to make sure that they would get to Rome safely. 
and indeed they would. God always provides. He's always involved. He is sovereign. He's looking out for us. He's got something in mind. Let's cooperate with him as we live lives of obedience to him. Amen? And Father, might you be glorified in us. Might you be glorified through our lives. Might the name of Jesus be lifted up and magnified. And God, so often we just simply don't understand what's going on or why it's going on. But Lord, we know that you do. You always do. And Lord, you've always got something in mind that you want to accomplish. Often beyond our own thinking. After all, Lord, your, 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 your thoughts and your ways are as high above us as the heavens are above the earth. And so, Lord, we bow to that truth. We acknowledge that truth. You know we don't. You have a plan. We're just simply participants. But might we, Lord, part truly participate through lives of obedience, desiring to see you honored and glorified. And God, use us in even a small way in comparison to the way that you use the Apostle Paul. But in our own circle of life, our, our influence, this our families and those that we work with, those in our neighborhood, those that we uh, run into when we're doing our shopping or whatever it may be. Um, here at church, use us to be a blessing to others that they may see you, that you would be glorified. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your love. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.